Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Annette Peril, who is a birth and postpartum doula, founder and host of the Clear Birth Podcast, Reiki practitioner, lactation counselor, and also a mom. We are grateful to be sharing space with her today to hear her birth story. Hello, Annette. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be on. This is like the first time I'm telling my story. Ah, yeah. That's always our favorite. When people are like, this is the first time I'm telling my story. We're like, come on. Yeah. (laughs) Well, um, before we get into all of that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family? Sure. So I am, I always start off by telling people I'm the youngest of three girls. Um, My oldest sisters are 10 and six years older than me. And that's important because I discovered my sister's um, Our Bodies, Ourselves book when I was about 10 years old and my parents are Panamanian. So there was like, that was like awful. Um, And I was born here, but I was raised in Panama. So my first language was Spanish. Um, And then I came back and was bi-coastal most of my life until I was in my like, my sophomore year of high school. and my current family exists uh, consists of my son, who is 15. <laughs> I was going to say the thing that I said uh, that he was, but I'm not going to do that to him. And um, my mother and myself. Yeah. That's a good visual for our listeners. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Tell us a little bit about this pregnancy with this noun teenager. So my pregnancy was unexpected, um, and I was I was a doula for four years before I got pregnant with my son. So I had been to many births, and when I got pregnant with my son, um, I was surprised, and he was most wanted and and loved. But because I was a doula, I already knew that there were certain things that I wanted. Like I knew that if I had to have a ha- if I wanted to have a happy baby, I needed to be happy, right? So avoiding and minimizing stress was really important to me. Um, I also knew that at times I wasn't that great a communicator with people and, and setting up boundaries and explaining things to them. So then I started taking this course called Nonviolent Communication which was very helpful in being able to be assertive and listening and hearing. So that way I could express the needs and wants that I, I had for my, when, for my pregnancy to my son's father. And I, he is one of, my son's father is one of 11 children and all of them were born in hospitals. And because I was a doula, I knew that I was not going into a hospital. Like my sister had two of her three children in the hospital, but my sister always told me these like really dramatic stories, like Hollywood version stories. I was standing on the bed and then the baby flipped and and I was just like, it was just not what I had envisioned for wanting to have a baby. And my pregnancy was great. I loved every second of being pregnant. Um, I just made sure to eat healthy. And because I was a doula and so, you know, years ago, you know, people would walk up to you on a subway and like put their hands on your belly and stuff like that. And I would tell, I had told my friends, I was like, that's not happening to me. 
I was like, we're not doing that. I was like, because if I, if someone invades my space like that, like I'm going to be grabbing a breast or genital because that that's my space. And I think it never happened throughout my entire pregnancy because I didn't look pregnant. I just looked fat. Like I just spread. I never looked pregnant. I was on the train one day and this guy and his girlfriend were arguing about giving me the seat because I was pregnant. And she was like, she's pregnant. And he was like, no, she's not. And they were talking in Spanish and they didn't know I understood. And then finally, like after five stops, I was like, I am pregnant. Listen to your girlfriend. And he was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. But um, but my pregnancy was great. Um, I had to make sure that that my son's father was educated around birth because when I said the type of birth that I wanted to have, I knew I was going to have a home birth. I knew I was going to have a home birth midwife and I knew I was going to have a doula. And I was in a partnership with another doula. So like the both of us would meet the clients and then one of us would attend the birth. And she had gotten, she had delivered in January and I got to be her doula for her birth. And that was really exciting. And then I found out in March that I was pregnant and she was going to be the doula for my, my birth. And I had met my home birth midwife at her baby shower, her bridal shower. And I knew I wasn't even pregnant, thinking about getting pregnant. I was like, she's going to be my midwife. It's like, you know, you start arranging people in your life. So I was like, she's going to be my midwife. And um, I had my team already in place. The hardest part was having conversations with certain people because I was a doula and because there is an education around home birth. Most people think that you're just in the middle of your living room and the midwife comes in in a nice flowy skirt and just sits there, not understanding that, you know, they're medical professionals and they're there to assess and and help if there's a, situ- if a situation should arise. So it's like my mom was really concerned about my safety and I get it. And I understand that. And my son's father was also concerned if if something were to happen. But for the most part, I knew I was healthy. I was, you know, I was considered advanced maternal age. But that didn't scare me because my mother was advanced maternal age when she had me back in the 70s. So I knew that that hadn't changed. And being a doula, I also knew the risk factors, right? I'm healthy. I don't, I didn't have preeclampsia. I didn't have anything that would be counterintuitive to make me have to go into a hospital. So it's just managing the labor. But a lot of times my best friend um, who was pregnant with her third at the time, we would go to yoga class. And at the end of yoga, you know, moms are always like, what hospital, what doctor? And I'm like midwife, home birth. And everyone's like, oh, clutching their pearls. like, And I was just like, I got to the point where I realized that I couldn't have these conversations with people. So I kind of just like removed myself from those situations because I wanted to enjoy my pregnancy and not have to explain my choice constantly to people on like why a home birth is a safe option. And no, it's scary things don't happen like that. Like I'm a doula. I've been in the hospital. I see scary things all of the time, right? For the most part. And I just didn't want to fight with anyone. So I just knew that I wouldn't have those conversations with people. I reassured my mother that everything would be fine. Um, my son's father was on board with it. And he he was he was like no one in his family had ever done that so it's not something that was of his mindset and i was like well this is what i plan on doing and so the pregnancy was great i had like sciatica for a day like nothing nothing no problems whatsoever with my pregnancy um so 
<clears throat> as a doula, as a birth worker, like I think, we, like you said, we're already like, even if we're not planning for um, children, we're always aligning like, ooh, if we hear about someone, I like you, I'd love to have you on my birth team at some point. Um, and then also being able to educate others about like the choices we're going to make. But I think that sometimes it can be hard for us to allow ourselves to be doula So what was the prep or what did that look like for you to kind of allow, allow space for that, for, for you to be taken care of? It's so funny that you said that because my midwife was constantly telling me, you can't doula yourself, right? Because you don't know how to turn that off. So I took a childbirth education course more so for my son's father. So that was helpful. I also, you know, I also made sure that I got massages at least once a month during my pregnancy. I also did acupunctures. I did all of the things to kind of just soak in and absorb the pregnancy. I read books that I had read before, but now from a different perspective as a, you know, as a mom to be, as opposed to a doula. Um, so I, I was prepared, but I didn't want to over-prepare. I think you bring up a really good point, point Laurel, um, about doulas in their own birth. And we're like, mentally, we know all the things we're supposed to do, like in terms of the, the body, right? Um, but then having someone else step in to help us take care of this mind and, <laughs> and letting us allow, right? Yes. For that space of just being cared for. Mm-hmm. And I think that's hard for a lot of people. It, it was, Not it's really hard. Yeah, it, it is definitely because, you know, we always say like the, the, the definition of a doula is to mother the mother, right? And when you're the doula, then to allow someone else to mother you when you know a lot is hard. It's like accepting a compliment when someone says, oh, you look nice. You're like, oh, I got this. You know, you start explaining, oh, I got this dress here or this look is from this as opposed to just sitting with it and saying thank you. You know, so it was really hard to kind of like sit with a lot of that preparation that I had to do. Like I knew like it was very important for me to be calm and happy. So I worked really hard at that. And also with, um, with nonviolent communication, just being able to hear without reacting. So that, that really kind of helped me as well uh, to not be upset by the fact that other people had fears around the birth process because they had never experienced it. I had experienced it. I had had hundreds of births by then. So to be able to allow them to have space, but without letting it penetrate me and affect me and me worrying about them because I didn't want to spend my pregnancy worrying about other people and how they were going to manage as opposed to just like enjoying my pregnancy and enjoying every moment of it. Absolutely. Well, tell us about your birth. Um, the My son was due November 26th. And, you know, as a doula, again, that knowing too much, I was like, he's going to be late. I was also in school and, and I had, I was very smart and I outsmarted the system. And I was like, I only took courses that would require a paper. And then midway through the semester, they decided, oh, we're going to have some exams. And I was like, wait, what? I'm not set up for that finals and all of that. And, and the end of the marking period was a, around that November break. But I was like, for sure that my, my son was going to be late and I would be able to complete all of my assignments. And it was around Thanksgiving, it was Thanksgiving evening when I went into labor. And 
we had gone to Long Island to my son's father's sister's house. And I kept getting up and going to the bathroom. And I just kept feeling like, like I had to use the bathroom, but I didn't have to use the bathroom. And my son's father looked at me and said to his cousin, I think she's in labor. And I was like, how he's going to tell me that I'm in labor? Like, I should know my own body. I, I, I don't think this is labor. Of course, that denial with it finally happening. And I was having started having contractions that were manageable and mild. Like, I could walk through them. I could talk through them. We got home that night at around 4 o'clock in the morning. I was able to sleep for a few hours. My midwife came over in the morning and checked me, and everything was fine. And she was like, if anything, this is really early. There were no – one of the things that I was clear about in my labor that I did not want any vaginal exams. So she listened to the baby, and she was like, everything sounds fine. We just have to wait and see. And so I had contractions all day. That was now Friday had contractions all day. We went and spent six hours in Target picking up the last minute things that we needed for the birth and before the baby came, walking around Target. And I remember I was walking at one point and I would stop and have a contraction. And I was like, it wasn't anything that would double me over. And my son's father came up to me and said, how, how far apart? And I was like, I don't know. And he was like, how long are they lasting? And I was like, I don't wear watches, so I don't know. So he handed me his watch and I put it in my pocket. And I just kept walking because I was like, that, it doesn't matter. Time really, it wasn't relevant. We got home, we went out, we went back out to eat. We went to um, a restaurant in the neighborhood. We came back home and I was like, I alerted everybody. I was like, I've been having contractions all day. I still think it's early. So I text my doula, I text my midwife. And I was like, I'm going to try to go to sleep. And I went to sleep and woke up the next morning because I just knew I was going to wake up in the middle of the night and labor. I woke up the next morning with no contractions all night. And I was just like, oh, okay. I got up, started going about my day. And I was having contractions all morning, the same. So we went for another long walk. And we talked. Now this is now going into day two. I go that night. I'm like, I alert everyone again. I send them a message. And I was like, it can happen tonight. Just be on alert. I'm going to go to sleep. And I'll wake you up You know, when labor wakes me up. I woke up the next morning. And no contractions in the middle of the night. So I was just like, wow. This is, this is okay. So now Sunday... Same thing, got up. We went, had a really big breakfast. We went for a walk. Um, at this point, my son's father was like, I have to go home. And I had a friend come over. And we started doing, um, we did henna tattoos and we were watching movies. And things started getting a little bit more intense. And she was like, I have to work in the morning. I think you should call him to come back. And and I was like, really? And she was like, yeah, you don't. And I was, I was so immersed in, in my labor that I was, I was not even thinking of like, we weren't timing contractions. I was like, this, this can go on for another week of having contractions. And she was like, no, I think, I think you should definitely call him back. And so while, while we were waiting for him to come back, things started getting a little bit more intense. But I also knew that for me, I needed to be present and that was important. So I knew that 
I had to manage dealing with the contraction, however that was. And, and at the time I would stand and lean forward because leaning forward felt good. And then once the contraction was over, I would ask myself, what do I need? Do I need water? Do I need to sit down? Do I need to use the bathroom? And that, that was pretty much how I was going. When my son's father came back, he forgot to bring the bassinet. So then he had to leave again. And every time he left, the contractions would get stronger and, and closer together. But it wasn't enough for me to call anyone. I was still managing really well. I My water hadn't broken. And this is now around 11 o'clock at night on Saturday. I mean, Sunday. And um, he came back and we decided to camp out in the living room. And I would have a contraction. I would sit on the ball and he would come and squeeze my hips. And we got into this really nice rhythm of I would have a contraction. Then in between the contraction, I would get off the ball. I would go on all fours or I would get into child's pose. I would have something to drink or go to the bathroom. But I made sure that rest was a priority. So I just kept resting. I just made sure that every time in between the contraction, I was like, do I want to drink or do I want to rest? And I prioritized resting the entire time. And at one point in the middle of the night, I remember that I had the con a really strong contraction, ran to the bathroom and I threw up and I felt this huge gush in my pants. And I was like, I don't know if that's my water. I took off my pants and it was bloody show. And I remember sitting on the toilet and cleaning myself off and then had another really strong contraction that caused me to throw up. And I threw up in the tub and I, and I just looked at my son's, my, my son's father and he was like, I think we should call someone. And I was like, really? Do we need? And he was like, no, no, we should, we should call somebody. And I was like, okay. He was like, I have a meeting in the morning. Do you think I'm going to make it? And I was just like, I'm in labor. I don't know what's, how long this is going to take and what's going to happen. So he called the midwife and I heard, heard him on the phone with the midwife and I was having contractions that were now causing me to, to be, to vocalize a little bit more. So this was around maybe three thirty or four thirty in the morning. Um, and I remember she was telling him that I should have something to eat, but I had no appetite and I had just moved into my apartment. So he had no idea where things were. And I could hear him rambling about in the kitchen trying to get me something to eat. And he came back with crackers. And I remember just looking at him like, this is the worst idea ever. And he was like, she said, you have to eat. And I was like, this is dry. And he was like, she said, you have to eat. And so I took the cracker and I crumbled it up. And I was like, this, I'm, I'm not doing this. I just couldn't, I couldn't even think about eating. So and he was like, at least take a bite. And I took a bite and I was like, this is awful. I'm not hungry. I don't want to eat. And then she had told him to time some contractions. So the next contraction, at that point, we were standing in the bathroom and we go into the bedroom and I get on the bed and I get on all fours and I'm there and he's doing the hip squeeze and he takes out his watch, this huge watch, and he puts it on my lower back and he's like, perfect. And I, and I was like, this feels awful, but I couldn't verbalized to him to get it off. And then it fell off my back. And I was just like, that's perfect. Like, we don't need to worry about contractions. We don't need to time contractions. They're happening, you know? So then after that contraction, he called my doula and she lived in Brooklyn. And at the time I lived in Inwood. So like really opposite ends. She had to go through entire Manhattan to come 
to come up and at around I had told my son's father like he should have put the pool together sooner so he went to go start the pool and I was laying in the bed and I was having really strong contractions and I had a contraction and I remember feeling like this this is this is what the end feels like I remember thinking that like this this doesn't feel okay it feels really intense and as soon as I had that thought I remember I had another feeling of like I my grandmother and my great grandmother and my great great grandmother and my, even my mother like they all went through this process for me to get here and they made it out okay and I felt them and felt like I'm okay I'm going to make it out okay and my doula came in and I was vocalizing and she started vocalizing with me and I was like shut up I just couldn't take any kind of stimulation and she put her hands on my hips and my water broke and she was like oh that's good and I was like no because I need to get off the bed and at that point I, I didn't have language to say I know what's going to happen when I stand up when I stand up I'm going to have like really intense contractions now that my water broke and I'm going to feel a lot of pressure it's going to feel awful and I have to go to the bathroom and I can't walk those four steps to the bathroom, I'm going to have like seven contractions. And she was like, you can do it. And being just being very encouraging. And I, I got up and everything that I knew that was going to happen was happening. I had some really intense contractions, contractions that like brought me to my knees. And then I got up and they were coming really close together. And so she was like, we're going to get you in the tub. And I, and I went in the bathroom and I sat on the toilet and she was like, get in the tub. And she ran me this really nice bath. It looked so appealing. And I was just like, I don't want to get in there. And she was like, no, trust me, you'll, you'll feel good once you get in. And I put my foot in and I had a really intense contraction. And she was just, she just put her hands on my, my shoulders through it and rocked with me as I was vocalizing. And I remember going, yeah, no, the water is not going to feel good. And she was like, please trust me, just get in the water. And I got in the tub and fell asleep, like fell straight to sleep. I started snoring. I was having dreams. I had no idea that you could dream in labor. And I was dreaming. And then I would have a contraction and I would wake up. And I looked at her like I, I was just asleep. And she was like, yeah. And then I would manage the contraction. And that went on for about another hour and a half or so of just every time I would have a contraction, I would wake up and manage the contractions. The contractions felt so much more manageable in the tub. And at the same time, I was just like, I want to get in the pool. But the pool was a bust. I don't know what was happening. All I know is that I, I kept hearing my son's father cursing. So I was like, that's not going to happen. I'll just stay in the tub. And while I was in the tub, I went to sleep during one of the contractions and I woke up and it felt like a smack, like hit my tailbone and I jumped up and I looked at my doula and I was like, I'm done. And she was like, no, no, you can do it. And I was like, no, I was trying to say, I felt the baby drop. Like, and I was just, all I could say was like, I'm done. And she was like, no, you can do it. And then I had a contraction and I went <laughs> and started grunting. And she was like, oh no, don't, don't do that. Right. Because the midwife wasn't there. So she calls the midwife and she says, you know, Annette's pushing and she won't stop. 
And the midwife was like, well, she's not supposed to stop pushing. So check her. And I remember everyone looked at me and I was standing up and I was like, no. And she was like, well, check yourself. And I put my finger in and I felt the top of my, like my finger didn't go in, but like this far, like the first digit. And I felt the top of my baby's head. And I was like, right there. And everyone started panicking. And the midwife was on her way in from Brooklyn. She was coming across the Brooklyn Bridge. And so they were like, get her back in the tub. Get her to relax. I got back in the tub. And I'm thinking, you know, oh, you know, first time moms, they're going to take two to three hours to push a baby out. So I got time. The midwife will make it. Everything will be fine. And I got back in the tub and fell asleep and had another contraction and started pushing involuntarily. I couldn't control it. And my doula looked at me and she said, blow. And I remember I used to say that to women in labor. And I remember in that moment going, I'm never going to say that to a woman in labor again, because this is a locomotive going through me. I can't stop it. And blowing is going to do absolutely nothing. And she called the midwife and she was like, Annette's still pushing. And she was like, you're going to have to deliver this baby. And we are standing in a narrow bathroom and my doula was in front of me and she was like, prepare to deliver the baby. And I was standing there and my doula was putting on gloves. She told her to put on gloves and her hands were shaking so much she could hardly get the gloves on. And my son's father was standing behind her trying to like step over her. So all I saw were like shaking hands and his feet going up and down. And I remember going, you know, when they write about birth, this, this is funny. This looks funny to me. And she put a chucks down on the floor. I had a contraction and his head came out. I had another contraction and his whole body was delivered. And I heard the midwife go wrap him in the towel. And I said, she's out. We're, we were, we thought we were having a girl. We didn't check. And my son's father yelled 942. And I was just like, I can't believe this just happened. And the midwife was on the phone and she goes, is it a she? And I remember looking down at my son and going, wow, she, she has really strong features. And I opened up the blanket that she was in and I was like, oh, she's a he. And we all just started laughing and we wrapped, wrapped him back up. I put him skin to skin and just sat on the toilet and remember just sitting there and the midwife was like, you know, I'm almost there. I called the birth assistant. She should be there somebody should be there shortly. And my doula sat in front of me while I sat on the toilet with her hands on, on, on my legs, just telling me how great I did. And I was like covered in sweat. And we got a, we have a picture of that moment. And, um, and then at some point my doula looked at me and said, don't let the placenta fall into the toilet. And I was like, Oh, I didn't even think about the placenta. And I remember going, I think I feel it. And I scooched towards the front. She got a bucket and it fell right in the bucket. And in that moment, I remember just going, wow, I can't believe what just happened. Like that was the hardest thing I had ever done in my life. But also I did it. And, and I did it exactly the way I wanted to do it without, you know, the, the midwife was supposed to be there, but we couldn't help that. And, um, I remember they helped me get into the bed. And in that moment, 
like shortly after the midwife's assistant came in and she started cleaning me off. And we just all started talking about what we had experienced. Like it was, it was an incredible moment and it was also surreal. And I felt in that moment that I was guided and that I was protected and I was safe. And that's exactly how that labor was supposed to happen. Come on, Annette. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Felt Thank that you. power. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's so like, and you describing those moments, like you said, where like you didn't have the words to like in your brain, you totally knew what yeah. you wanted to say, what you wanted to happen. Yes. But like your body just couldn't. Exactly. <laughs> Couldn't. I couldn't process. I could not process. Well, I was like totally in my my brain. I was, but I could not process to even have the language to say. Well, you know, this is what I felt. It felt like a bowling ball just hit my tailbone. So I think that's a, like I had none of that. All I had was I'm done. Like that's all I could say. And I think this is done. What's so powerful though is when you do have people like a support system, your birth team, who really knows what birth can look like. Um, and can really read body language, read how you're managing through yeah. contractions to be able to piece together, oh, that's where we're at. Like your doula, yeah. you started grunting and she's like, oh, hold up. <laughs> <laughs> she what she meant not... was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. She she was not ready for that. She was not prepared for that at all. Yeah. Um, and like your, you know, your midwife said and this is one of my huge pet peeves um, about certain care providers is this, you need to stop pushing. Can you yes. stop pushing? Yes. For real? Yes. For real, y'all? That, that doesn't, For real? That doesn't, I, I refuse to tell my clients anymore to stop pushing. So instead, what I do is I get in their ear and I'm like, just grunt, just grunt, just push good little pushes. I was like, how do you stop pushing so that the doctor can arrive? Like, no, keep pushing. You you have no control. None. And I think that's the part that like, you know, your body and baby are already working yes. and doing a lot of the yes. work. Your added support helps the process go f faster, yeah. hopefully. But in all reality, you have no control. No control. <laughs> that whole push, that whole breathe thing. I was like, oh my God, I felt so bad afterwards having told mothers to do that. Because I was just like, it doesn't work. It's just, you're not doing anything. That was such a beautiful and powerful story, though. Oh, um, thank you. So many different layers to it. Yeah. Um, Quick, but it happened the way it was supposed to happen. I, I wasn't afraid of something else happening, you know, because the whole process unfolds, unfolded uninterrupted the way it was supposed to, right? So later on, my son's father shared with me that he was scared. Um, what if he would have had to take me to the hospital? And I was just like, take me where? For what reason? Like, there was no reason to go anywhere because everyone was on their way. So I never at one point felt like, oh, we needed to go and do something else. Like, it was just like you said, the team was there, everyone that was there. I felt comfortable. I felt supported and just let the process unfold. It definitely speaks to the, um, 
the having people in certain spaces during your yeah. birth and how yes. he was busy doing yes. something else. Yes. Because that's yes. where his energy. That's where <laughs> it needed to be. in that bathroom and you'd have been oh. looking like. Uh, and he said every time he walked in the bathroom, I was sleeping. And I was like, I, was, I wasn't, I was sleeping and dreaming, but you didn't need to be there. Like, I didn't need that. And that was good. Like, you know, because the whole, the cracker. And I know, like, you know, Men see a problem and they want to fix it. And the midwife gave him something to fix, right? Hunger, fix it, food, you know, time contractions. So they're, they're good at that, but not putting the pieces together. And so it was good that he was, he was in another room because at that point, his energy was just, you're right. It was way too much and not really needed in that moment. Tell us about how postpartum was for you. So postpartum, that was a whole other experience. My When I first got pregnant, the first two weeks of my pregnancy, my breasts increased four cup sizes. So I went from like a C to a triple D. And by the end of my pregnancy, my breasts were ginormous. My son, I often say my son was 20 and a half inches long and so were my breasts because when I would nurse him on the pillow, they, they were like the length of his body. And I just automatically thought, well, breastfeeding is going to be an, no problem, no brainer. Um, my son went the first eight days of his life without pooping. He peed a ton. And as a doula, I was like, this is not right. And I would call his pediatrician every day and say, there's still no poop. And they were like, no, that's okay, because breastfed babies, that's what happens. And I was like, this is not okay. And, you know, my I had a postpartum doula, and she was like, this is, she came over one day. We have pictures of her. She got a little potty, and um, we sat him in it because we thought, well, maybe he needed some help. So we sat him in it with warm water. We massaged his belly with oils to help him poop and nothing. He would pee, and he was fine. He would wake to nurse. My breasts didn't change in the sense that they were big, but they never felt full. And on the eighth day, he pooped and it was still black and tarry. And we had called um, a lactation counselor in and she came in. And as soon as she walked in, he pooped. And my son's father was like, hey, you did your job. Thank you very much. And she was like, no, it's black. It's tarry. This is day eight. He needs more. And so in that moment, I remember going, well, what, you know, what do we need to do? And because as a doula and a postpartum doula, it was either breast or bottle, right? Everyone has very strong opinions, just like with birth. If you had a vaginal unmedicated, someone's like, do that. If you had a C-section, that's the best. So why would you feel pain? Like all of these opinions. And the same thing was true for breastfeeding. I knew that my grandmother breastfed her first daughter until she was five years old. So I, I had that knowledge of like, I know I can do this because it's been done. My mom doesn't remember her breastfeeding experiences. She had more bottles than breastfeeding. So I was just like, okay, well, what do we need to do? And she was like, well, first things first, the baby needs to be fed. So that means you need to feed him. However, that if you can pump and supplement, and I need you to pump every two hours, for half an hour and we'll check back in. And th those were the instructions she gave me every two hours for a half an hour. So I really had like an hour and a half. And 
I remember my mother, my mother would come over and she would bring me soups and fresh juices. And if somebody said it was for breastfeeding, I was trying it. Um, so it was like um, Malta is um, malt liquor, but it was the sweet version, that sugar that has no alcohol. And I was like, I can't have any alcohol, so I wouldn't do any kind of the beers because I was like, if I'm on this crazy schedule, I know alcohol makes me tired. There's no way. And so I was drinking three and four Maltas. I was I was eating oatmeal. Whatever foods you said would produce breast milk, I was doing. I was doing the fenugreek. I was doing the blessed thistle. I was doing everything. And nothing was happening. Like I would barely get a half an ounce of milk. So my son was getting mostly formula from a bottle. And it took me three months for my milk to come in. And I, I guess the combination of all of the things that I was doing, and in addition to my friend's mother, who um, is Colombian, had told me, she was like, well, we have this, this um, canela, and canela is just like that big brick of brown sugar that you see. She was like, drink that, put it in milk, let it dissolve, and just keep drinking that. So here I'm drinking, I'm drinking Malta, I'm eating every two hours. I'm also making sure that I'm, I'm like drinking that sugary drink at night. I gained more weight postpartum than I did because I was trying to incorporate everything in at once. And I remember the day I woke up and it looked, I looked down and my breasts hurt and I didn't, I couldn't understand why. And I looked down and it looked like someone had taken grapes and put them under my breast. They was just so engorged. And I remember going, oh my God, I'm engorged. This is three months of pumping and supplementing. Like I was exhausted and um, pumping all through the night. That was the other thing that she told me. And I remember one morning I woke up and it was like two in the morning and I was sitting at the edge of the bed. And I remember going, this is not sustainable. I was like, this is, this is not going to work. There's no way that I can maintain the schedule. She gave me no end date. What am I going to do? And I was like, well, I'm just going to make sure that I nurse and I pump and I do all the things during the day. And I did all of that. But at night I needed to sleep and I would just nurse my son off of one side. And he wasn't waking that often in, at that point um, to nurse. But once my milk came in, I was just like, oh my God. And I remember I pumped the one side that he didn't nurse off of and I got six ounces and you would have thought I won the lottery. I was screaming in my apartment. I was so excited. I was like, they work, they work. I can't believe that they finally work. Like all of the work that I did to put into it really worked. And I remember going, you know, we have it wrong. And after that, it changed my practice when I worked with postpartum women. I was like, babies can can be fed from a bottle and can be fed from the breast. Because after we went through that whole process, I exclusively breastfed my son until he was two months shy of his fourth birthday. So it's not bottle or breast, it's fed. And then we can get back to whichever one the mom prefers because not all moms want to breastfeed for that long. But I, I remember the biggest takeaway from my postpartum was the support between my aunt coming over with food, my 
mother coming over with food or sometimes someone just coming and holding the baby, that was meaningful to me. That made the world of a difference, that I was not alone. And I had people calling me to encourage me that just to keep going. And I knew that the only, I knew, just like I knew that I wanted to have a vaginal birth at home, I knew that I wanted to breastfeed. And I was like, this is my only job. So if I have to pump all day and, you know, supplement and whatever I get, I give him until it works, that's what I'm going to do. And it took me three months for that to come through. And then we went on and had a really great, breastfeeding experience from them yeah um i think when we we when we think about um nursing journeys i think it also has to be the same in the way that we think about birth journeys everyone's is different and so making sure that we're providing all the information all the choice Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that families can make a decision that best works for them exactly because there's so many layers Mm -hmm to what is in that realm of normal, what we think should be occurring, right? And also, you know, women have different traumas when it comes to their breasts or their body, right? There are some women who have been assaulted and abused and to have a pregnancy, they have no control, right? So they need control. And sometimes it may not even come up until they start breastfeeding. And that might be such a visceral reaction that they might not want to do it. So I often say we don't know people's stories and it's not good to ask them unless they're willing to share. Like if someone if someone says to me they've had this experience, then I know how to help them. But I'm not going to go and seek it because I'm not a therapist. So allowing people the space to say, I don't I don't want to breastfeed. And they're like, "Okay, so how are we going to get this baby milk? What would you like to do? How would you like to do it? I have a mom who recently gave birth with her second and her first experience with breastfeeding was really hard and she produced a lot of milk. And then she went on to exclusively pump and give the baby breast milk because that worked for her. And this time around, she was trying to do something different and it was counterintuitive to what she was feeling. And I remembered, I just told her, I was like, you can do the same thing. Look at your baby. Look at your first baby. He's fine. I was like, this baby's going to be fine too. He's getting breast milk from a bottle that you guys are giving him and you're being the best mom that you could be for yourself first. So yeah, we have to give people that space and that autonomy to choose what works for them. And that's what I tell my clients too. Nobody's there. That that lactation counselor, she didn't know at three o'clock in the morning that I wasn't I wasn't doing that anymore. And when she checked in with me, I was just like, yeah, things are working. And that was it. It's those you know. 3 a.m.s. I'm like, where y'all at? You telling me to do X, Y, and Z, but where are you at? <laughs> oh, exactly. X, Y, X, Y, Z. Exactly. You sleeping in your bed. I was like, I got to get up again. I was just up. Like, you know, and then, you know, sometimes it's not even a whole hour because by the time you change the baby, put the baby back down, you know, and then turn around and go to the bathroom and drink something. It's like 30 minutes of rest that you had right. before you have to do that again. And you're just like, what, what is my life? And I knew that I wanted to breastfeed for the long haul. And I just knew that that wasn't sustainable. And I, and I tell my clients all the time, is it sustainable? And if it's not sustainable, then we shouldn't be doing it. And, and we put too many pressures on new moms that it have to be a perfect way or 
have to be this and the snapback and all of that. I'm telling them to put that goes out the window. Do what works for you. That's that's all. And I think yeah. your journey is a testament to that. It doesn't. It's not linear. It's not linear, right? No, like no, you exactly. may start off um, doing something a certain way and then change later. Yeah. As long yeah. as you have the information and the tools to do that, you can shift. Exactly. It's possible. And I, I think it's so hard because postpartum, you're in that whole mom momdom, right? You're like, I have to keep this baby alive. I have to, I have all of these fears start rushing through. I remember I was so afraid of so many things and I'm not afraid of things. I remember calling up my mother one day and being like, when do you stop worrying? And she was like, you never do. And I was just like, oh, great. I wish somebody would have told me you have a baby with the side of worry. Like, and then I realized that the worrying was unnecessary too, because it wasn't true, right? It wasn't grounded in what's happening in the moment. Right in the moment, my baby's fed, my baby's happy. Okay, now what's the next steps? I need to do X, Y, and Z. I need to eat. I need to sleep or use the bathroom. You know that's true. The worrying about the doom and gloom and something's going to happen to him if I that that wasn't true, and that helped me through. And I also had a lot of postpartum support. I think I think people only think of the immediate postpartum, like as like the first six weeks or maybe two weeks past that. But I had support months into the process, which made a difference. And, and when I tell people, I was like, this is community. Everyone wants to come and see the baby when the baby is born. Tell everybody, no, you, you guys need to take turns. This week from this week, someone's coming. I was like, and stretch that help out for months out because soon you're going to be with the baby and no one's going to be there and you're going to turn around and go, how, how do I take a shower? You know, with this newborn, <laughs> what do I, I'm constantly hearing the baby. Like, what do I need to do? But when, and the, those are the months that you need it, the four, the five months, the six months, just hold the baby. Um, you also need community at 15. Okay. At because postpartum is forever. Forever. And you need community always. Yes. <laughs> and you know, the thing that the, the thing I often tell people when people are like, should I take this class or should I take this, you know, this, this newborn care. Yeah, those things are important, but you need to find your community, right? You need to find who are going to be your people. And, you know, the pandemic has put everything online and some people are like, I don't want to take classes. And I'm like, that's where you're going to find your community, right? Because then after that, those are the people that you're going to go take that new mommy course with or be in a new, new mommy environment with. I was like, because that's what's going to help you. Hearing hearing other people's stories throughout my, my journey as a doula and seeing other people's stories is what really helped me to like, oh, no, I c- it can do this, I can do that, and, and it can work this way. And I think that it's postpartum is so solitary in that sense that, you know, we're all home. How are we finding postpartum? And I had a really great mom's group that we're friends to this day. You know, and all of our babies were within like a week or two of each other. And we would meet once a week and just go and sit down and talk or go to the park or, you know, that community is really, really important. Annette, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anything else that you want to share with listeners, whether resources, advice, anything else from your birth? I I have to say that I think that every mom needs a doula. Every every pregnant person and family needs to hire a doula 
you know, and we come in in different age, uh, in different ranges of brackets of price ranges. And, you know, where you might find someone who's experienced and charging a lot, if that's not in your budget, there are some low and free doulas um, out there and available, but it's highly important to have the help. And if you can put it on your baby registry, you know, that the cost of a doula and also postpartum, think about postpartum help because it's, it's really important. I, I think a lot of people think of a baby nurse and they think, oh, I want that long-term help, not understanding that a postpartum doula is going to work her way out of a job. That means she's going to teach you everything she knows about your baby. So that way, when she leaves, you're an expert and you, she's a resource for you. Um, so I encourage every family just to make sure that they, they hire a doula for labor and postpartum. Both and. And, <laughs> and, right? And, and also some doulas do overnights. You need some of those too. Yeah. You and your partner, you yeah. know. Do. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. No. <laughs> Trust me. Exactly. You're true, right? Because there's some times where I'm like, he's sleeping. I just love to leave the apartment. Like that, right? <laughs> if I had a doula, I'd be like, he's all right. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. It was You're wonderful. Likewise, yes. likewise. I'm so glad I got to finally tell my story. You're listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com.